0: My name is Father Nathaniel. You have come on a good Sunday because we are starting a brand new series called Being Orthodox on Purpose. Being Orthodox Orthodox on Purpose. This is a very, very unique series that we're doing here at the AIDS, and it's going to be a non-traditional series that we do here. Because this is basically our membership group for those who are wanting to dive deeper into St. Mark Church and into the ancient faith. This is your membership group catechesis class for those who are wanting to dive deeper. So half of this journey over the next five weeks involves the eight of hearing what we're going to talk about. The other half is the discussion that you will have in your life group. doesn't mean you're not going to benefit from here, but there's kind of two components you can dive deeper into your life group. But before we kind of dive into this brand new series called Becoming Orthodox on Purpose, I would love to talk about burgers. This is a burger This is a burger, but this is also a burger. If I told you both were $5, which burger would you choose? You would obviously choose the the good looking one. Both are burgers, both are $5, but one is the organic, cage-free, not, you know, whatever, whatever, non-GMO, all that good stuff. Is that burger on the right? What we are going to be doing on this five-week journey is finding the fullness of our appetite. Is the fullness of our appetite. All of us are curious for wanting more out of life. All of us are curious about the existence of life, the existence of God, the existence of Christianity. All of us are curious about that. But as we continue on this journey, we are going for the real deal. We're We're going for the big burger. Because at the end of the day, there, there's, there, there is Christianity for sure, and all of us are following our Savior, Jesus Christ. But our approach to it is looking at the pre-denominational faith of Christianity. What did Jesus tell those 12 guys, which we have recorded in Scripture? But what happened after that? What happened after that? What did Christianity look like in the year 30, in the year 60, in the year 300, in the year 800? What did Christianity look like? Is what we're doing now, does it resemble that early Christianity? If I'm going to follow Jesus, let me do it to the fullness. Let me do it to the fullness. Let me get the real deal. Let me get the full burger. That being said, not in any shape or form are we saying anything about the other burger. Not in a judgmental way at all. So I want you to understand that we take pride that we got both of $5 and you choose the one on the right. That's great. But in no shape or form do we say anything about the burger on the left. Not at all. So I'm just showing only what I'm doing is just showing the beauty of the ancient faith, the beauty of not of Orthodox as a denomination, the beauty of this pre-denominational church that we call the Orthodox Church. So as we continue on this journey, or as we start this journey, I should say, think about it as us going from what, who is God, why Jesus, so Christianity as a whole. Then as the as the series progresses. Why Orthodox Christianity? And then it's going to end in your life group talking about what does it mean to be an Orthodox, a Coptic Orthodox Christian at St. Mark Church. So we're starting at a high level. Why Jesus? Why should I care? From this level, why Orthodox Christianity? And then ending on what does it mean to be a Coptic Orthodox Christian at St. Mark Church? Our first talk is going to be split into four acts. So I want you to look at this as four acts. The first act is God's will. So we're going to jump into the record that we have written by a Jewish man named Moses as he records the the earliest record that we have of humanity. We read this. God says this. Let us, plural, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let man have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created. Male and female he created. We have the earliest record of, of, of God, he's talking in plural, which we'll explain in a little bit. He's saying, "Let us make man in our image, in our likeness." I want to create a creation that that a has dominion over all of creation. Like I, I want him to enjoy everything I make. I want to create like mountains like this. I want to create flowers like this. I want to create tons of flowers like this. I want I want butterflies. I want ants. I want I want all of this for man to enjoy. But at the end of the day, everything that I create is for for all of that to reflect. Who I am. I want all of the creation to reflect who I am. But he says, my prized possession out of all my creation is man. And man, you, got a, a, you have a divine responsibility. That I want you to have dominion. I want you to be the CEO. I want you to kind of be the bishop. I want you to be the overseer of this creation. I kind of want you to be the manager. I'm the owner here. Don't forget that. But you are the manager. And I'm putting you on the clock to manage what I have given you for you to enjoy. The very first line that we just read, it says, let us make man, us being the three persons of God. Maybe we've heard of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but how they are three persons, but we have from the earliest record that it is three persons of God, and we'll dive into deep, that detail later on throughout the series, saying, let us make man in our image in our likeness. Image and likeness, what's the difference? Why in the world are we using both words? Let me just say this. Throughout the early centuries of Christianity, there is various interpretations of that phrase, image and likeness. There's various interpretations. But one that I would like to highlight is one where it describes image being, actually, let me give you this example. LeBron James. Everyone knows LeBron James. If you don't, he's the next Michael Jordan. Anyway. LeBron James has a son that, uh, actually, it's, it's very interesting to see. He might be the first NBA player to play in the NBA with his son as two as two athletes playing in the NBA at the same time. So his son, Bronny, is super good at basketball, just like his dad. Because he has the same genetic makeup as his dad, that makes him really good. But just because he has, he's I think he's still in high school, but just because he has the same genetic makeup as his dad, does that equip him, does that automatically make him just as great as his dad in basketball. No. He has the genetic makeup to be successful, to be the greatest basketball player just like his dad. But that doesn't necessarily, you can't just say he's going to be just like his dad. No. He has the same genetic makeup. doesn't mean he's going to reach it. We are made in God's image. It is our job to strive to, in, to, be, to find the virtues and to, to live out those virtues to be in his likeness. We are created perfectly in God's image, but it is our job to strive to be in his in His likeness. What I mean by that? You know that you shouldn't lie. You know that you shouldn't lust. You know that because it's embedded in you in God's image. His reflection of God is embedded in, a, in you, and you know that. But for me to, to strive toward him, which is my entire life process, is to get there, to reach that fullness of life that I'm designed to be, that is me striving toward his likeness. I'm equipped to get there 100%. I'm equipped to get there because he is our father. He's not leaving us abandoned. But it's my job to to use that and to utilize that, not just say yeah, 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 I should be a good person. Okay, how can I live out God's love to others? How can I show love to that annoying jerk at work? How can I execute submission in my marriage? How can I live that out? Once I live that life intentionally, this is what is allowing me to reach his likeness. Act 1 is this. Uh, let me let me let's continue to read. Then God blessed them, Adam and Eve. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. Be the CEO. Be the manager over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth, and which there is life, I have given every green herb for food it was so. Out of God's respect for man and out of his freedom for, to, to, that he gave man, he says, you are the manager. You have a responsibility. You have a divine responsibility to take care of creation, to take care of planet Earth. But you, as being the, the reflection of me made in my image and in my likeness, you you are the best man. You you are my prized position. Out of all the ten thousand things you see me create, like you're you're the you're the crown of, the, of of all of creation. But you have a divine responsibility to oversee all this. End of act one is this: the Holy Trinity's will, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is for man to live with God forever. The Holy Trinity's will is for man to live with God. God, out of his love, says, I'm giving you freedom to do as you wish, but I I, I want you to live with me forever. Like that, That's my ultimate desire, is for us to have that intimacy and vulnerability and, and, and union together. That's my desire. It's us three. You, Adam, you, Eve, me. Like We can have the best. We can have the best. Every single day would we'll be the best in the Garden of Eden. It can be the best. This is my desire. The Holy Trinity's will, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, is for man to live with God. Forever. As you know, comes Act two. That was God's will. But then man said, I mean it's that's all great, God and everything, but like I think you might have forgotten some things. I think I think I, I I got it from here, God. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God is saying, everything is for you to enjoy. I, I, I love you. like You're my child. Like I want this to work. Everything is for you to enjoy. I'm giving you freedom out of my respect for you. But just one simple rule. Like, there, there, some early Christians say that, that they would get to the tree of life, but not yet. So God says, just hold off on that tree. Don't go to that tree. If you do, I, I promise you, it's going to lead to death. You don't. You won't understand right now, but you have to take my word. Everything else is for you to enjoy. Like, Adam, just look at, you have 600 trees around that one tree. I'm telling you, just that one tree, don't. It's not for you right now. So just enjoy everything else. But I'm giving you this one simple rule. Just don't touch it. Just don't touch it. When we say that God loves us, when we say God loves us, like, yeah, 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 Jesus loves me. Yes, I know, For the Bible tells me so. And we kind of like, yeah, 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 God loves me. And we just ended at that. The actual word when we say that God loves us, like, there's different types of love. Like, for me to say I love the NBA season starting, or I love my wife, or I love God, I'm using love for everything. But the way how I love the NBA is different than how I love my wife, hopefully. And it's different than how I love God. It's the same term that we use in, in the original Greek, it's a different term depending on what I'm talking about. So when God says that I love my creation, I love you, that love, this divine love, which the, 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 the formal Greek word is agave, love, this love is an unconditional love that requires nothing in return. And in that love, that, that, that epitome of love is free will, is free will. God's saying you can do as you wish. I'm telling you, death, this tree. Life, you with me. Simple as that. I'm not making complicated. You, you have the free will to do as you wish. You're, uh, you're a big boy. I'm not going to hold your hand and, and say you have to do this. You got to do. Don't. T- I'm telling you. Here are the rules. It's clear. Capiche? It's up to you. God gave man free will out of His love. But I put, in that's because sometimes we have become numb out of His love, out of His respect. Gave him free will. You choose. It is up to you. I have equipped you to fully. I've equipped your reflection of my image. You are you, you. are designed in my image. Now I want you to strive to continue to be in my in my likeness. It is up to you. Out of out of his respect for us comes Act Three, the sentence of death. So God drove out the man, and he placed cherubim, which is like a heavenly being. At the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the Tree of Life. So the part that we miss is, is is Adam said, "Ah, man, I got this." Eve said, "I got this, man." I'm like, this this, this tree looks looks like the rest of the trees. I'm sure God like made a mistake. It's okay. He still loves us. So you know what? I'm sure He didn't really mean like you know. Maybe He'll just put His time out for a little bit. It's okay. I'll I'll eat of this tree. They ate of this tree because they thought they got it. They got it. They thought their logic was above their Creator's logic. So they did what they thought was okay so god drove them out and he says i have to place one of my assistants in front of this tree and get you out of the garden for not out of like shame on you but out of my love for you you are not ready to eat of this I, because i love you i have to get you out of here because i love you because i respect you you have to get out of here believe me, you have to get in here you're not ready for this yet Man's will led to sin and death. Man's will led to sin and death. Ever since early Christianity, Christians would always get together in a room just like this, and they would break bread, which we know as, as, as interpreted being the liturgy, with them celebrating the Eucharist. And This was a practice every Christian did throughout all the early centuries. In our Coptic tradition... We say these words in our liturgy. That death entered into the world through the envy of the devil. Death entered into the world through the jealousy of the devil. Death entered because the devil said, Man, like, why does God think he's all that? We got this. And he whispered something in Adam's ear. He whispered something in his ear. And that led to sin and to death. But a lot of us think, like, yes... Yeah, sin is bad. No sin, and we we just know sin is bad. And that's all. That's our interpretation of sin. Sin. What is sin? Something not good. God does not know what is a sin. Well, what what is the actual root word of the word sin? The root word of the of the of the root word of the word sin is armateia, which is this in Greek: missing the mark, missing the mark. When I sin, when you sin. Shift your, your the, the way you look at it of saying, I am missing the mark. I am missing the mark. What is the mark? What's the bullseye? The man that is the fullness of God and the man that is the fullness of humanity. All put together as one. This is the bullseye. So anytime my pride allows me to do this, missing the mark. Anytime my anger, ah, why like, and I and I... Lash out against somebody, my spouse, whatever. I'm missing the mark. Anytime I say, I got this. I don't need anybody else to tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. I'm missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark of the bullseye. Man's will led to sin and death. And sin is missing the mark. The mark that the bullseye that Adam and Eve were designed to hit was being one with God. But they said, man, I got this. I can do what I I know what I'm doing. Their pride, them saying they're bigger than God, is them missing the mark. And that thought grew as a little seed because I heard something else from someone else, from the devil, led to death. It's a sin. Now we have a dilemma. Now we have a dilemma. God loves his creation beyond belief and wants the best from it and wants to be one with them. But out of his respect for them, he had to say, you can do as you wish. Like, you, you, you chose this path. You, you chose the path for yourself. I didn't want you to, and it embraced my heart to see you do this. But you are the one that chose the path for yourself. I give you one simple rule. So now we have a dilemma. That God wants the best for us, but at the same time, he has to respect us in choosing the path for ourselves. Early Christians, and there is one Coptic Christian, goes by the name Athanasius. He, he termed this conflict the divine dilemma. The divine dilemma. Now there is a, 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 there's an issue at hand. What should God do? And he termed this, this phrase around the year 350. There is a divine dilemma. Act 4. The solution. The solution to the divine dilemma. Going back to Throughout the centuries, how Coptic Orthodox Christians celebrated liturgy and how they celebrated worshiping God, we say this in our service. Lord, you have not abandoned us. You have not left us isolated. You have not led us in death. You have not, al- you have not allowed us to just die in sin. But you have always visited us through kings, prophets, Rulers, judges, you began to start to reveal yourself little by little. That before, like, you, you left us in death, but the second that you joined, the second, the second we were taken out of the Garden of you Eden, know, the second that happened, God is having this divine dilemma he says, I, 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 this, this can't happen. From that second, salvation began. From that second, healing began he began to sending these people. And he began to, God started to reveal himself. So God, pretend God is, is now fully, like there's a, a distance between God and humanity. God began to reveal parts of himself through kings, through prophets, through, through rulers, through judges. And he began to reveal more of who he is and how much he loves his creation. He began to reveal all himself. But in the last days, you manifested yourself to us that he fully revealed everything of who God is to becoming one with him, becoming one with us. No more, it's none of these like isolated people and, 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 and godly people kind of leading people. Now he fully revealed himself, fully manifested himself back to humanity. Why? Because he cannot stand seeing us living in darkness anymore. He needed to come down. He needed to roll up his sleeve and say, I got to come down myself and show them how they were designed to live. I can't allow them to be darkness anymore because of this or what led to God revealing himself fully is Christmas early Christians used this phrase, the incarnation of the Logos Logos is a Greek word describing the second person of God, Jesus Christ incarnation, so this phrase put in simple terms means this God putting on skin God putting on skin God now was was someone distant that people kind of understood, kind of not. God says, you know what? I will fully reveal and manifest myself to humanity because I cannot see them living in darkness anymore. So he put on skin. And we know him as Jesus Christ. Why? Why couldn't Jesus or God just... Snap his fingers, do this move, whatever, rewind, something, for all this to go back. Like, why did like why does he have to send his son for him to, to live on the earth for 33 years and just be tortured? Like, why? Like, you're God. Like, couldn't you make it just like simple? Why? Like, you're God. Like, why do all that? Jesus Christ must be fully God and fully man in order to fully reunite God and man. One more time, Jesus Christ must be fully God and fully man in order to fully reunite God and man. Let's let's think theoretically. Let's imagine Jesus was just a very good boy. He was just a great guy, just an awesome guy. Like he was, just, you you just want to. He's a great coworker, great guy. Like he was just a great guy. Well, he was just an inspirational man. Then how can he re, like If he is just man, how can he unite back God and man together? He's just a good guy. He's just a good guy. Let's not think the opposite. What if What if Jesus was just purely God? What if He was just like just some spiritual being that like looked human, but He really wasn't? What if, imagine if He was just God? Then He, how can we relate to Him? We would say, Oh yeah, yeah, He's just you know He's just like He's just like He's just like an angel kind of guy. Like, we can't really relate to Him. But He had to be one hundred percent God. He had to be one hundred percent man in order to, to 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 bring us back together for God and man to be back together. St. Athanasius, who I mentioned earlier, said it perfectly like this in, in the fourth century. He said, God became man in order for man to become God. God became man in order for man to become God. Now there is now there now heaven is coming down to earth through the incarnation of the locusts, which is God putting on skin as Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is a big deal because Jesus Christ is a big deal, we celebrate every aspect of who he is. We don't just, you know, we don't just strip everything away and say Christmas and Easter. We celebrate all of who Jesus is because he became all to heal every aspect of who we are. We make a big deal about just the news that there will be Jesus coming. We make a big deal, which is called the Annunciation. We make a big deal about that. We make a big deal of of every step that Jesus took because he went through this path to heal every aspect of humanity. He became all in order to heal all. He became all in order to heal all, to become personal, become real and tangible to us. Okay, great story, Father Nathaniel, fabulous. It's, you know, it's a good story that we tell like, third graders in Sunday school and stuff like that. What is my role in the story? What on earth does this have to do with me and my daily life and my struggles? What what does this have to do with me? There is this phrase, or this verse. There are two ways. One of life and one of death. But a great difference between the two ways. This saying, this, this quote, is from a book called the Didache. The Didache as many uh, scholars would say, is, is is a manuscript written by the 12 disciples or their disciples, the early Christians, within the first 100 years of Christianity. So many of us think, like, you know, Jesus ascended and they all waved and they said, okay, you know, what should we do? Like, should we do liturgy now? No, they ended up writing down crazy stuff, everything else that they heard from Jesus, everything of how they knew they should practice their life with Christ. They ended up writing it down. And one of those records that we have is something called the Didache. It's a very fat, very short book, but it's really cool. I mean, in this book, the, the early Christians shared of, with us how we should baptize, how we should do baptisms. They shared with us the, the, the primitive form of the Eucharist, of, of, of how we celebrate the Eucharist. That's where we get greet one another. Many things of the primitive form of the Eucharist, of the liturgy, was written in this book called the Didache. Also in the, in the Didache, the early disciples wrote down how the church should be structured with priests and deacons and bishops. Look, we didn't just come up. It didn't just come out of nowhere. It came from this book called the Didache. Also from this book is where we find the the, the guidelines the church gives us about fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. But the, the very first chapter, the very first verse of this manuscript that the disciples themselves wrote down within the first 100 years of Christianity, like imagine just go just for a second. Imagine you're the disciples and you're sitting in that upper room, actually at Mark's house, at Mark's house. So do we just go spread? Like, Mark, are you going to go to Egypt now? Like, what are we going to do now? Those early Christians sat down and wrote down what they knew that Jesus told. Them. And the very first line of the book, they said, there are two ways. There's one, like, I, I saw one that led to life. I saw a path that led to life being with Jesus. But there's also a path that leads to death. But there is a huge difference between the two ways this is how they opened this book and this is how they lived and this is how they preached of showing there's death and there's life and you have i have the free will to choose as i wish life or death because god loves us he's not we're not slaves to him we need to choose the path that we want one of the most famous verses in scripture is written by one of the closest disciples to jesus and he goes by the name of John. And he said this. Out of everything John saw, he said, God so loved the world that he didn't just uh, send us a nice letter, didn't uh, you know? just bless us with the sign of the cross. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn say, we're, we're horrible and, and to judge us and to condemn us. But that the world through him might be healed. Why is Jesus a big deal? Because he brought heaven down to us in order to elevate and transcend us back up to him, which is his original design. But because of our pride, we decided to screw Send in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We got it, Lord. We can relate to Adam and Eve. We can relate to just our our, our our pride, our selfishness, our ego, our anger, whatever it is that that's
1: putting us down
0: a path that leads to death. Oh well, Lord, we know one hundred percent there is a path that leads to life we are equipped to find and and pursue that path of life because you are our Heavenly Father and we are your children and you have equipped us to find that path. Give us the courage, give us the boldness for us to find that path, for us to pursue you intentionally, for us to become Orthodox Christians on purpose. Through the prayers of all your saints, here's as we all pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us as they are our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but the rest of the evil. Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you guys for coming